I guess it's only right that I come up here. Y'all are always driving to the Austin area, so it's, it's, it's time, isn't it? So what, what has truly brought us together? Has it been Hensel Camp? Has it been those opportunities for our, our youth to get together and do things? In a way it has, but as Paul would tell the church in Colossians, I believe it's something even more. I, I believe it would be the bond of perfection. That bond of perfection that each of us is in because of the blood of Christ, because of His sacrifice, because of His Father, our God and Father in heaven, because of His sacrifice, His willingness to give of His Son to of all the world, that every one of us can hear the truth, know the truth, be saved from our sins and be added to the church. And because of that, my wife and I and our family, we can, we can travel from five hours away and and we can find the bond of perfection. We can find the church. We can find the church of our Lord and Savior. And we can worship in spirit and truth together. And we thank you. We thank you for that opportunity. And I thank you guys all for um, willing to support us in our future endeavors. If you have any questions about that, please stop my wife and I and ask. We're, we are willing and talk. Let's, let's get into the sermon now. Jesus said that... Uh, as he was preparing his audience in Matthew chapter 13, he spoke to them a series of parables in that whole section. And in that series of parables in that whole section was to prepare the people, to prepare his audience, to prepare also his disciples what it would be like when the kingdom, the kingdom was started. So that they would have an idea of what the work of the church would be. And so if you'll open your Bibles together, we will go ahead and, and we will read from the very first parable that the Lord speaks there in Matthew 13, and it's in regard to the parable of the sower. So I invite you to go along with me as we read, and he says there in verse number 3, he says, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Notice there that the sower is the person that is, in, is entrusted with the job of handling the grain. It's a very important job. As my wife and I were traveling from where we live up here, things began to go from green to brown. <laughs> we went from having corn to having slowly not so much of anything. And out here, though, you guys still do plant. And, and you do plant. You dry crop plant. And so whether it be where my family's from, uh, that we, we are an agricultural family as well, or it be here in this part of Texas, anybody who has a seed understands their job. And every morning, you go out and you go out to do something very important, and that is to sow your seed, to plant what you have in the ground. And so this sower here, and notice that Jesus draws the attention to the, of the audience to say, Behold, that's another way of saying, listen up. That's another way of saying, I've got something I want you to pay attention to. And the attention will be given such a way that at the end, in verse number 10, the disciples will say, Lord, why do you speak in parables? Why do you speak this way? Can you explain this for us, please? So when the Lord says, Behold, everyone was beholding. Everybody was listening. And so I think it's very important that you and I today, as God's people, also behold the words of the Master. Notice what he says. And he sowed some seed, fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil. 
and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And the others fell on good soil and, the, and yielded a crop some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. It's a way of the Lord saying, Behold, listen up. And then at the end, listen, you've got ears, use them, because I just gave you something very important to listen to. And the disciples are listening, and I'm so thankful that they had the, the, the nerve to ask the Lord for a little explanation here, because I wonder what kind of explanations we would have come up with this parable had the Lord not told us what it precisely means. And so I'm thankful for this uh, uh, giving, the explanation, if you will. So now in verse 18, if you will, he's going to give us the explanation. And notice what he says there. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. So now three times Jesus Christ has drawn our attention with words that should get our attention. Behold, he who has ears, let him hear. And now again, hear. And this is very important. We have three attention getters that the Lord is saying, I've got something important and I want you to understand so that you can apply it in your life. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is preparing His audience for what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And so the audience needs to pay attention because this, in a way, is their instructions on what they will do each and every day as sowers of the seed and His kingdom. So he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, that's important, they do not understand it. Notice what he says, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the road. None of us know who that person is, by the way. None of us know that. Each day that we go out, we don't know who that person is. We just know we have a job, and that's to sow the seed. And then it says there, the next one, the one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Amen. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it, only, it is only temporary. And when affliction, note that please, affliction or persecution arises because of the word. Why is the affliction and persecution going to arise, church? It's because of the seed. Why? Because of the word. And so the word that was sown in this person's heart, because of that, they're going to suffer affliction and persecution. And because of that, notice what it says, because of that, they immediately, he falls away. James talks about affliction. If you'll just note there, if you will, uh, on the side there regarding verse number 20, if you'll just note James 1, verses 2 through 4, James would tell us that you and I, as followers of Christ, when we are encountering different trials and afflictions, we should, as he says, count it all joy. Notice that this person received it with joy. They were happy. But because of the affliction and persecution that immediately arose because of the word, because of the seed, notice that his joy quickly fades away. Notice that the person who has firm roots in the word, 
firm roots in Christ, when the affliction and the persecutions arise, the hardships come, the trials come, notice that you and I, we can be like what James says. We can count it all joy. Why? Because we have firm roots in the Word. Let's continue in the explanation from Christ. He says, yet, in, in verse number 22, And the one whom the seed was, excuse me, and the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Listen, we live in some worry sometimes, and it's not just our generation. Mankind has always lived in some worry sometimes. I've got news for you. Guess what we're going to live in tomorrow? Some worry sometimes. And, and if the Lord still hasn't returned by next week, and I pray He does, but at the same time, I also pray He doesn't. Why? Because I want so many folks to enjoy heaven. Amen? And so between now and whatever day that is, guess what you and I are going to live in? Some worry sometimes. But notice that this person is so focused on the wealth of the world, they're so focused on the worry sometimes in the world, that they have, they have nothing else on their mind. I, it would be interesting. You may want to cross-reference here when Jesus is also explaining what it's going to be like to be a disciple in uh, Luke chapter 9. In verse number 62, he says, He who puts his hands to the plow and looks back, he's not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And so notice that for whatever reason you or I or the world may put on Christ in baptism, and for whatever reason, whether it be the, the, the affliction and the persecution, or it be the worries and it be the deceitfulness of, of wealth, whatever our reason may be for leaving Christ, when we turn and we look back, when we go back, when we leave the plow, listen up, we need to understand something. We're not worthy. So let's keep our hands firm. Listen, the, the, the Word has been planted in us. Let's make sure that the weeds and the rocks are not in the way so that we can have firm root. Because notice the last group of folks, what they enjoy according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. He says there in verse 23, And the one on whom the seed, excuse me, on the one whom seed was sown on the good soil, this, notice what he says, this is the man. That's important. He's explaining something. This. Now, if you and I were listening and we were to see Jesus speak, and He has already told us, Behold, and He's always already told us, He who has ears, let him hear. And then He's already said yet again, Hear. And then at this point, He says, This is the man. Guess which one Raul Ferris wants to be? Guess which one you want to be? If you had heard the Messiah tell this story, are you wanting to be the one that taps out with persecution and affliction? Are you wanting to be the one that taps out because of deceitful worries? Or are you going to be the one that wants to yield his fruit? And so when I hear this is the man, that's where I'm going to focus on. Why? Because that's the kind of man I want to be for Christ. That's the kind of man I want to be for God and His kingdom. And notice what he says there. And so this is the man who hears the word. Uh-oh, there it is again. Hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold. 
some 60, and some 30. My wife would tell you that I'm not really good with math. And I'm not. It's the truth. I'm not ashamed of that. But I know one thing. I know that a hundredfold, that's a lot. And I know that 60-fold, that's a lot. And I know that 30-fold is a lot. And a man who does not know and understand math very well, I know that a hundred, a sixty, and thirty is a lot, and I want to be one of those guys. Amen? And so does the church today. And so let's understand some things about Jesus Christ. As we turn now our attention to what Paul's been reading and what we had read for us regarding the church in Colossae. Regarding the church in Colossae, this is a congregation that Paul has written a letter to, and this letter is jam-packed with prayer. It starts with prayer, and what our brother Joe just read for us, it ends in prayer. It starts with knowledge, and it starts with wisdom, and as our brother Joe just read for us, it ends with knowledge and wisdom. And so this letter is very important to the church. This is a focus on Jesus as the head of the church, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. There's a lot of similarities between this letter in Colossians and the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians church. Lots of similarities. Lots of things that you're going to mesh together. If we have a carpenter in this room, a lot of things that fit perfectly like a dovetail. So understand some things as we dive into chapter 4. Notice that as he instructs the church in Colossae, and now we're considering this, these ideas please, the idea of a sower went out to sow. So as you and I today have eyes for evangelism, as you and I today, we're going to note that you and I are going to devote ourselves to prayer. You and I are going to have wise wisdom in our conduct towards those, towards those in the church, but mostly those who are outside the body of Christ. And that you and I, we're going to be gracious with the words that come out of our mouths. And by doing these things, we're going to be the the sower that went out to sow. And so as we go, there it is, so as we go, so as we go out to, to sow, we're going to have a devotion to prayer. Notice that in verses 2 through 4, which was read for us. A devotion to prayer. Notice that in verse 5, as we go out to sow, we'll be wise with our evangelistic conduct. And then verse 6, as we go out to sow, we are going to be gracious with our speech. Now let's go ahead and read what Paul instructs the church. Notice the word devote. Devote yourselves. This is very important. When you're talking about a devotion, you're actually talking about an appropriate addiction. A lot of times we think about the word addiction we are uh, immediately go to negative things. If you're a King James reader, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul would say, concerning the household of Stephanos, that they have addicted themselves to the work of the, house of the saints. That word addiction is used there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in a beautiful way. Other versions translate that word addiction to devotion. And you think about that, please. Folks that are addicted to bad things, they have devoted their life to bad things. 
Those who are addicted to righteousness, they have devoted themselves to righteousness. And so you and I today as the body of Christ, Paul says, listen up. You need to devote yourself. And so notice what he says, devote yourselves to what, church? To prayer. Prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. As you and I go out to sow the seed this week, may we devote ourselves to prayer. And then he says, keeping alert with, with an attitude of what? Thanksgiving. I would, I would like to encourage you to read all of Paul's letters. Read them. And see just how thankful he is for everything that he is going through for the cause of Christ. In fact, if you were to read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, almost every single chapter in those two books, Paul shows some level of thankfulness. Paul was a thankful man. And so when a thankful man tells me to be thankful, and I can see that he was thankful, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be thankful. And so he says here that I'm to devote myself in prayer and I'm to have an attitude of thanksgiving. When you step out of this building and you bring the church of Christ to the curb today, we need to do so with prayer and with an attitude of thanksgiving. Notice here he says in verse 3, it's, it's highlighted yet again, now praying at the same time for us. As evangelists, I pray for other evangelists. What he's saying is, I want you to pray and I want you to conduct yourself in a way of prayer. And while you're praying for the things that you need to be praying for, church in Colossae, that needs to do the work of the kingdom in Colossae, as you're doing those things, church, pay attention. I also want you to pray for us. That's what Paul is saying. And so Paul's no longer here with us to pray for. And the church of Colossae that originally received this letter is not. But guess what the Ferris family is going to be doing for the church in Westside? And guess what we ask y'all to do for us? The same. And so as we go out to, to evangelize together, and then notice what he says there. He says, praying at the same time for us. And this is the reason. Now while Paul's writing this, by the way, the man is in prison He's incarcerated. And notice what kind of door he's asking to open up. He's not asking that the jail cells open up. He's not asking for his physical freedom from Rome. He's asking for a door of opportunity for those who are enslaved to something worse than Roman shackles, those who are enslaved to sin. He wants what Jesus Christ spoke of in John chapter 8, verses 32 through 36 regarding knowing the truth and the truth setting you free and that if the Son sets you free, indeed you are free. Paul is concerned about those who are enslaved to sin. Notice what he says in this verse, church. He says, praying that God will open to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned. That's what he's concerned about. He's not concerned about his imprisonment. He's concerned about the world's imprisonment to Satan. And that's what he wants the prayer for. He wants the church to be praying that Paul can go out and teach more about Jesus. And so today, the church, as we go out to sow, we too are going to have a devotion to prayer. Notice he says there in verse 4, Why? That I may make it, underline it, 
clear in the way I ought to speak. You know, there's ways that uh, my family and I engage folks in Austin, Texas, that if we were to come here, we would have to engage them a little bit differently. That's just how it is, how I ought to speak. But no matter whether you're in Austin or you're in Midland or somewhere in between, you and I have to make it clear that the world understands they're in sin and that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But they don't have to die. They can live. They can have eternal life through the Son. And so you and I need to pray that we can make it clear in the way that we ought to speak. A Christian that goes out to sow has a devotion to prayer. Second point. A Christian that goes out to sow will be wise in their evangelistic conduct. Notice verse number 5. Notice that he has told them in verse 2, devote, devote yourselves. And notice the, the other command here in verse 5, conduct yourselves. So you've got a devotion to prayer, and now you've got an action with it. So after you've prayed, now you're going to conduct yourselves. Notice what he says there, conduct yourselves with wisdom. And who is this wisdom to be conducted towards? Well... There are times when we just need to be wise with one another. We need to love one another. But in this context here, he says, towards outsiders. And then he says, making the most of the opportunity. He would say something similar to that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 16, when he would tell the church in Ephesus that they are to redeem what? Redeem the time. Make the most of the time. When you go out and you sit down for lunch after this sermon or after our time of worship and Bible study together, make the most of your time with that waiter. As you go to the grocery store to buy milk and bread and the things that you need to put on the table, make the most of the time. You are not their church for milk and bread. There are souls in those aisles that need to hear the message of Christ. Make the most of your time. As you go about your daily business, as you work with your co-workers, as you work in your own home, as you teach your young children, make the most of your time. It's so important that you and I redeem the time, that you and I pray for wisdom. Father God, I've got a co-worker, I've got a family member, I've got a, a friend, I've got a stranger that is outside of Christ and I know if they draw their last breath, they will be separated from you for eternity. And Father God, I know that you don't want that to happen and neither do I. Please, Father God, help me be wise towards this outsider. That is so important that you and I pray for wisdom towards outsiders, and that we make the most of our time here on earth. Notice the third and final point we make today. A Christian that goes out to sow the seed, he or see, they need to make their speech be gracious. If you are on social media, Check yourself. Because a lot of the things that are said on social media are not said with grace. And you and I will be held accountable for those things. So whether we are typing it, whether we are texting it, 
whether we are saying it, it needs to be done the way that Christ Jesus would do it. And it needs to be done with grace. And so if there are some things in my life that I need to go and immediately make no, no, no ways to pause on it. If there are some things I need to go home and I need to clean up and I need to make statements correct. And I need to call people that I have not been gracious towards. And I need to send some apology text messages. And I need to go onto my social media platforms and clean some stuff up. May I encourage you to make no wasteful time. Make the most of every opportunity and clean that up. Because if we don't, we will be held accountable. I cannot warn you. I cannot warn myself. I cannot warn us together as the precious body of Christ enough. Notice what he says. Let your speech always, always, always. You know, when I struggle with this, I struggle with gracious speech. And if my older sons were here, they'd probably shake their heads and say, Amen. I, I struggle in traffic with gracious speech. But guess what I need to have in, in traffic? The same gracious speech I would have as when I'm at the dinner table thanking God for the meal that I'm about to eat. Consider with me this point. He says, let always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. You may want to cross-reference in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, because Jesus says you are something. He doesn't say you could be. He doesn't say you can become. He says you are the salt. You are the salt of the earth. And he also says, though, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trampled underfoot by men. We are to be seasoned with salt. And he says this reason, and it ties into verse 5, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Notice that each person. Remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all. It's for everyone. Each person. That I may know how to speak with grace towards each person, that I may have wisdom towards those who are outside of the body of Christ, that I would know how to devote myself to prayer, that I would ask for a door of opportunity to be laid open for the church here at Westside, just as much as I would ask for a door of opportunity to be open where I'm from at Southwest in Austin. The work of the church needs to go on. Today, you and I need to have eyes for evangelism. The question is, will we? Perhaps today there is someone in our audience who has been studying the Word of God. They've come to the realization that, you know what? They do not have Christ. They have not put on Christ in baptism. Through the Bible, this simple sermon that we've had, they realize a couple of things. They have not devoted themselves to prayer because they are, A, not in Christ. They have not been wise. Why? Because they do not know the true wisdom that comes from being in Christ. And so they need to put on Christ in baptism. Perhaps there's a brother or sister in Christ today, this morning, who has realized that there's been some selfishness in their lives or there's been some things that they've not been gracious with. There's been a conduct that Paul told the church in Colossae to have 
that we are not expressing in our life and we need to make it right. We need to pray to God for forgiveness and we need to be restored to His precious church. And we need to be restored to His precious work. Perhaps there's someone here today who is struggling with going out to sow. They want to sow, but they're struggling with that. And they want to make sure that they're doing it right. I know the elders here, and I know very many members of the Lord's church here would be glad to teach that individual how to sow the seed of the kingdom. Whatever your need may be, will you please come while we stand and as we sing?